Welcome to Growing Pains, a business podcast for entrepreneurs and their teams who find themselves in the growth phase or messy middle in between startup and aiming for six or seven figures and beyond. I'm your host, Laurie Sterling, a COO, coach and mentor. I both do what I teach and teach what I do with a passion for empathetic team leadership, business operations and all things entrepreneurship. Welcome everyone. Today I have a wonderful interview guest on my podcast. This is the talented Tash Corbin, who is a consent-based marketing and lean startup coach with a community of 35,000 heart-centered entrepreneurs. So welcome, Tash. How are you? Thank you so much, Laurie. I'm great. And it's so good to be here. And I just quickly want to say your podcast has become one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. All the juicy goss behind the scenes is one of my favorite things to listen to. So thank you so much for putting this podcast together. I love it so much. I'm so glad. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. That's Thank you for listening. That's awesome. No worries. All right. So a little bit of behind the scenes of how I know Tash. Tash was technically my second business coach I ever hired when I first started up my business. My first business coach was an absolute disaster. I'd paid like $6,000 for six months worth of coaching. And by the end of that six months, I'd earned like $75. (laughs) And (laughs) just like the tactics, it was like all theory, but no application until I met Tash, which was nowhere near that cost. And you took me step by step. You helped me really define what my offering was and helped me with marketing. And so since then, I, you know, have absorbed every word out of your mouth in some form or another. So yeah, once again, thank you. And you've had such an impact on my own business and my own growth. You've taken it so far. Like I've even stayed at your house. Like... (laughs) How many coaches can say that? Like, yeah, you just go so far. Like, I feel like you're one of the special ones and I couldn't imagine, yeah, a world without Tash. So that's awesome. But please tell us a bit more about your business and how you got started. Mm, Okay. So 2023 will be my 10 year business anniversary. I started back in 2013 and I actually started my business because I was working in corporate consulting and I really wanted to have more flexible working arrangements. I wanted to travel and my work wouldn't let me go part-time. So I quit my job and started a business. And looking back, I think I was so naive and I'm really grateful that I did it, but I cannot believe what I did. Like I just threw everything away. I was like, right, I'm going to take a year off my job, off working. I couldn't even get a year off. I had to actually quit my job, but I was going to take a year off working and see what I could do to grow a business of my own. And I was very similar to you, actually. I The first coach that I paid, it was almost $6,000. And I got one day of mentoring for that. And out of that, I had some really cool ideas of who I might serve and how I might serve them, but I had no idea how to actually market or get those clients. And so I started following a lot of different marketing specialists and sales specialists. And all I found was a lot of pushy, aggressive, you know, just lots and lots of spammy type of advice on how to get clients and how to dial up their fear and their pain points and how to be the savior. And it just made me feel really yucky. And going from selling consulting services for a company where you kind of hid behind the brand of the company 
to then selling my own services as a personal brand was confronting enough without having to do a bunch of really pushy salesy stuff. And so I have a marketing and business background from university and from my consulting and all those sorts of things, but I wasn't very familiar with online marketing and online sales and those sorts of things. So I became self-taught. I decided to experiment with a range of different strategies, applying more of that heart-centered approach and that consent-based approach to it. And my business absolutely blew up. In my sixth month of business, I had a $20,000 month. And so it just blew up and I could see there was so much demand for more of this heart-centered, consent-based marketing and sales that doesn't feel gross. And so it's just gone from strength to strength from there. Amazing. Awesome. I definitely can relate to, so a little side topic here, I can relate to like the bro marketing side of things. I've just come back from a two-day conference in London where I saw the wonderful Denise Duffield Thomas speak. And you could tell that half the audience were there exclusively for Denise and didn't know who any of the other speakers were. And the other half of the audience were there for the people who put on the event. And it was such a f- opposite dynamic of half the people were there were heart-centered people. <laughs> and then the other half were bro-marketers and had never been introduced to that life. Like it's one, they were so opposite each other. And it was the dynamics was so fascinating because I'm like, I can tell they're from that side and I can tell these are, you know, lucky bees. And it was so <laughs> funny that half the speakers, it was so cringe. And the other half was like, oh, just you're hanging on every word. So like once you clue into heart-centered marketing, it's so obvious when it's yeah. when it's that bro side of marketing. It's It was funny because they tried to put themselves out there as, oh, no, we don't like being bro marketers. We're, you know, we're totally not. And then, like, it would just ooze out of them without realising they didn't even know it. (laughs) And then in the next sentence they say, you have to get up at 5am and you have to be hungry and you have to work harder than anyone else will and all of those things that seem to go hand in hand with those pushy aggressive strategies as well. Yeah. That's it. One guy got up there and said, every day I, I tick off, you know, something personal and, and something professional and something. And then the other one is I'm a, you know, I tick off that I'm a player. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you serious? You're a player. That was one of the Yes. <laughs> awesome. So 10 years in business. So how did you get the business idea? I initially had planned to replicate what I did as a consultant. So I was planning to be a consultant and mentor to mostly small and medium-sized businesses and government agencies. But leaving consulting, I had a non-compete clause for the first six months. And so I thought, actually, well, I can't do that more corporate style of consulting. What would be applying my skills, but to an audience that didn't feel like it was in competition with my previous employer. Mm. And so I actually started off with this idea of teaching business skills and marketing skills to artists. So I thought that's the exact opposite. So my consulting firm does not want to mentor or provide consulting services to artists, but I love creative people and I surround myself with creative people naturally. I dabble with painting here and there, nothing that spectacular, but I love crafting 
crafting, I crochet, all of those sorts of things. So that's really where it came from was I just looked at, well, what skill set do I have and who needs it but is nowhere near being an organization or an enterprise. And so that's really where I started. But what ended up happening is in the process of going out there and advertising my services and finding artists to support, I had a lot of other, particularly women, reach out to me and say, I know that you're talking about artists, but I have a yoga studio. Could you help me as well? Or I build websites. Can you help me as well? I'm a graphic designer, not really an artist. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening was very quickly I pivoted to more the online service businesses, those heart-centered style businesses, mostly solo entrepreneurs. So I wasn't in, you know, doing anything against my non-compete clause. And that's really where it came from. And it's really fascinating to me to look back because really I was just a leading learner. Yes, I had some baseline understanding of marketing and sales. I've been obsessed with biopsychology for a long time, but I was very new to the online world. Like I, my Facebook was just me making fun of my friends and posting updates from events or things like that. I didn't post food. I wasn't like on social media every single day. I was some, I didn't take selfies. Like I, there were lots of things that I didn't really do a lot of. And so I really had to learn it all myself. But as I learned things, I was so fascinated by it all. I just naturally wanted to share it with everyone else as well. Mm. And so that's where it sort of got the seed and that early momentum from was just seeing the demand for those types of things as I got bigger and bigger reach in those online spaces. Awesome. And so where has it grown to now? Where are you at? So my biggest year of income so far is 700,000. That's in Australian dollars in turnover. And my profit margins are between 50 and 60% most of the time. Uh I had eight months off from July, 2021 for a surgery and my recovery was really bad and I didn't heal. And so 2022 was a really a year of rebuilding and getting back to where I was. So my goal for 2023 is to hit the million dollar turnover. And I'm fairly on track for that. I run a conference and haven't been able to run conference since 2019 for obvious reasons. So that's back in May this year. And then we'll run it again every year. So when I have a conference, that's an extra 150 to 200,000 turnover. So I think I'll be pretty well on track for the million dollar turnover year this year, which feels really good. Amazing. Well done. Mm. And so how many team members do you have? I have a business manager, a customer service and events manager. So that's a combined role. I have two VAs and my partner, David, helps me with some community management, admin and ads behind the scenes. So that's sort of my permanent team. They're very limited hours. Like my business manager is just a few hours a week. My customer service person is probably 10 hours a week max. My VA is less than that. Uh, My main VA and then my second VA is a couple of hours a week. David probably does the most hours, my partner. And then I do about 10 to 15 hours a week at the moment. I averaged less than 10 hours a week in 2022, but that's because I was still recovering health-wise and really rebuilding my hours. And my goal is to work 20 hours a week. Now, I know it seems weird to have a goal of working more hours a week, but for me, 15 hours a week, I miss my business. Like it's not in, I don't feel like I'm connected enough. 
And so, yeah, I'm aiming for around 20 hours a week from here, but I'm being very gentle with myself because I am still recovering, still rebuilding my health. I had heavy metal poisoning and silicon poisoning. So I have been diagnosed with so many different chronic conditions before we actually found out what was going on. So my goal is to keep those hours just creeping up slowly and rebuild back up to that 20 hours. So it's a very part-time bunch of team members, but that's my permanent team. I then engage people on a project basis for things like design work if I need it, website stuff if I need it, ads management as well. I'll sometimes bring on an ads manager for more complex ad strategies for launches and those sorts of things. Uh, Yeah, so that's my behind the scenes in the team. Yeah, so how long ago did you hire your business manager? So my current business manager has been on board for four years now, I think. So, yeah, since 2020. So, yeah, coming up to four years now. But I've had a business manager since 2017. Right. And in that growth of your business, when did you know you were ready to hire that business manager? I was probably ready after a year, to be honest, but I was very hesitant and resistant to hiring a larger scale team. And so I probably needed one way earlier. Mm-hmm. My business was messy in 2017. I had added a bunch of extra products and played with a bunch of extra things in my business. And so at the end of 2017, I did a review. I have a planner that I sell and I did a review in my own planner and realized I had 36 different offers and 36 different ways people could work with me. And that was a reflection of how I was feeling in 2017. I was stretched thin across so many different things and it felt messy. And so that's why I ended up hiring a business manager was because I needed someone else to help with systems and templates and processes. And actually, fun fact, my business manager is Claire, who you've had on your podcast, Claire Riley. That's true. So she, yeah, so she's my business manager, very part-time, as I said. But actually, I hired Claire before I hired a business manager back in 2017. And she set me up. She did a lot of cleaning up before my business manager started. So I did a few half-day VIPs with her where she'd come to my house for a half-day and she set up like a webinar template and set up documents. She set up a workflow for new freebies, a workflow for content and blogs and podcasts and all sorts of things. So she actually helped me to feel like get the business a little bit more under control initially and then she recommended that I have someone on who was a little more permanent in the team to help with that ongoing management. And so I hired my first business manager, which wasn't Claire at the time. It was someone else. But then in 2020, I ended up hiring Claire. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So in that time of growth leading up to your 700,000, what do you think was the catalyst for you? The Two biggest factors was focusing down on just a limited number of products Mm. and also outsourcing and hiring a team. So actually giving things to my team and getting rid of me as the bottleneck in a lot of different parts of my business. I, Even though I had a VA and a business manager and a customer service person from 2017 onwards, I had a VA from the first day I started my business, but uh, I had a team of three from 2017. 
I still was the bottleneck. I was still in charge of a lot of decision-making. I was still, oh, no, I'll do it. No, that's fine. I'll just do that bit because I wasn't doing a lot of things or getting a lot of things sorted in advance. And so I felt bad asking my team to do a lot of things at last minute. So anything that was last minute, I still just did it myself. Mm-hmm. And in 2017 to 2018, I really shifted that up and started outsourcing far more consistently and giving things over and just not being the decision maker. We'd made the same decisions over and over and over again. So it became a lot easier to have someone else involved in that decision making process and just letting people take charge of their roles. That really was helped by having a customer service person. And actually my 2017 business manager forced me. (laughs) That was one of the terms of working with her is she said, you must have a customer service person for emails and customer service requests and getting that consistent understanding of what types of questions people asked and where did things get stuck in terms of sales processes and those sorts of things. And at the time, I did not feel ready for that at all, but it was part of the terms of working with that business manager. It was one of the best things she ever did for me. Uh, So yeah, outsourcing and actually handing things over to my team and then also just reducing the number of products and services that I had because I was like launching two or three things at a time to try and get across everything. And all of my products had been created to demand and because people had asked for them. But what I really saw was that it was stretching me far too thin and confusing people about how to work with me. So I really narrowed it right back to my core program for startups, which is Takeoff, my money mindset program, which I no longer run, and then a program for courses and launching, which is uh, Leverage and Launch. And so really they were my main three like online course programmy type products and then I had conference. So I kept it very simple and basic for a couple of years and that really helped me to scale up. Yeah, that's a huge difference there. What mm. advice would you give an entrepreneur who wants to hire their first business manager? Ooh, do it before it's a crisis. Handing over a hot mess that's urgent means that you're putting a lot of pressure on that person. It's really hard for them to thrive in the role. And it took us a long time to really find our feet because everything was messy. Everything was urgent. There was just so much going on. And I really do wish I'd hired a business manager or at least got Claire to do some of that systemizing for me far earlier. And then the other thing I would say for someone who's like, oh, I want to hire a business manager, I think I might be ready, start with a project. Start with hiring someone to set up your systems or to have a look at the back end of your business or to look for those quick wins and opportunities because systems people think differently. Business managers think differently and they often have had experience with dozens of different businesses. So you don't even know what tech is available to you, what structures are really helpful, what things you can outsource these days, what you can use AI for, Mm -hmm. all of those things. You know, that's such a hot topic at the moment. And I'm not someone who is going to be across all of the AI stuff, right? Because I focus on my business. I focus on my marketing strategy. And yeah, I'll dabble with some of the AI stuff. I'll go to a few classes here and there. But I find that the systems, business manager, COO type peeps, they make it their business to know what the latest technology is, what the latest tools are, what AI, what's happening in AI, those sorts of things. And it's just so powerful to have an expert put, get their eyes on your business. So yeah, do it earlier than you think, 
even just hire someone for a project if you don't want to commit to someone long term and yeah, get started before it's urgent because once it's urgent, it's a bit late and it's going to be harder. Yeah, well, I agree with all of the above. What, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to an, a business manager who works side by side with a CEO? Oh, that's a really juicy one. I think uh, something that's been really helpful for me is personality and strengths tests. So know your CEO and what you can and can't expect of them. So I love, you talked about Denise Suffield-Thomas, I love her version of Sacred Money Archetypes because it's very business focused. That's not her original stuff, but she's created a course related to business stuff. So all of my team and I have done Sacred Money Archetypes to work out what our top three and our bottom three are. I also love Clifton Strengths Finder and being up front with my team about what my strengths are, what my my weaknesses are, the things that like I'll try and promise to be more organized and disciplined, but it was not going to happen. Or you know what I mean? Like just knowing that about me, yeah. I think the more that my team and I talk about personality types and our archetypes and our strengths, the less my team try and ask me to be a square peg in a round hole And they just accept me for who I am and that's very freeing. And it also means that I can accept my team for who they are because I hired them for their strengths. I hired them to fill those gaps. And so we're not going to communicate the same way. We're not going to see things as obvious Uh the same way. To me, marketing and sales stuff is obvious, but systems and organization and automating, not obvious. Oh, there's a, there's a tool that'll do that for you automatically. That's not obvious to me. And so, yeah, taking that time to get to know each other, to learn how to spot different strengths and challenges and personality types, I think it's really helpful. And also, when I was working in corporate as a young graduate, back in my day in the early 2000s, I had a brilliant boss. She was so such a great mentor and she was so kind and helped me to navigate learning how to be in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And she once said to me, when two people come into a relationship, someone has to change the way that they behave, right? They have to adjust their communication style. Mm -hmm. And in an employer-employee relationship, it's not your boss. Your Mm -hmm. boss doesn't change their communication style to suit the 20 people working for them. You need to adjust your communication style. And so whilst in a manager to CEO relationship, I think there's adjustments on both sides. Mm -hmm. I do think that just accepting that in order to thrive in that position, you're going to have to work with the CEO the way that they need to be worked with allows you to stop wishing that they would get stuff done in advance or stop wishing that they would communicate more effectively in writing or stop wishing that they would stop coming up with lots and lots of creative ideas. That's their job. That's their natural strengths. And so you can communicate with your CEO like your preferences or you can also make it easier for them to work in a way that works for you. So it was my business manager who set up Slack for our team, right? Otherwise, I'd just email, 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 maybe a couple of Facebook messages here and there when things are urgent. And so things were getting lost. And 
I didn't know how to use Slack. I'd never heard of Slack before back in 2017. And so my business manager was like, why don't we experiment with this little thing called Slack and we'll have a little play with it. And it took me a few months to get used to doing it through Slack and not doing it through email, but it was really useful for us to do that. Similarly, I am not someone who loves logging into Asana and seeing 150 tasks in front of me. I am neurodivergent. And so seeing 150 things, everything looks urgent and important to me. Mm -hmm. And so if you can spoon feed me three tasks at a time, I am far more likely to nail those than if I see giant lists of things. So I, my current team have been making some changes to the way that we use Asana and they've set my little dashboard up So now when I log into Asana, I only see the three things I need to do today. I don't see all the stuff that's in the future. I don't see all the, like everything just all prioritized exactly the same. And that makes a huge difference for me. But I would have never known how to set that up. I would never have known that that was a thing, right? (laughs) I know how to manage myself, but I don't know how to help someone else manage me. And so being able to experiment with those sorts of things and adjust the way that you operate to suit the CEO means you'll both actually get more done and feel like it's a much more effective working relationship. Out of curiosity, what is your money archetype? I'm not the fun ones, to be honest. I'm romantic first and foremost. So romantic is it'll all figure itself out. We'll do it at the last minute. You know, nothing really gets to me. Oh, you know, everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. So, and also romantics can be classified as lazy and I 100% identify with the term lazy. In fact, that's part of my word for this year is slazy. So I'm going to slay the year, but it's going to do it the lazy way. And I love the fact that I'm lazy. So number one is romantic. Number two is connector. Mm -hmm. So I tend to see myself as a hub with lots of spokes. Mm -hmm. So that can sometimes mean I try and control relationships with customers because I feel like customers need to have a direct line to me. So knowing that about myself and my team knowing that about me means that they know to reassure me or keep me in the loop about what's happening. So if I'm outsourcing, for example, customer service emails, I can still at any point in time log in and see all the customer service emails. And if there's anything where, oh, I think Tash would want to know that we did that, my team just send me a little update about it because relationships are so important to me. And so it also means as a connector, when I'm facilitating group programs and those sorts of things, I can tend to feel like I need to connect one-on-one with every single person in the program. So my team know that about me. So they create opportunities and ways for me to do it one-to-many rather than spending lots of time connecting with people one-to-one. And then my third archetype is nurturer. So again, like that really caring for people, looking after people and being very people orientated. So I don't have any of the traditional business archetypy stuff, you know, in my top three. So ruler, which is like, I'll work really hard and stay up to midnight. Don't have it. I don't care to see another sunrise. So long as I live like, I ain't getting up before the sun. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. I'm not an accumulator. So I don't weigh up financial decisions. I just spend if the money's there. So using things like profit first and having those structures means that I'm far more effective at managing my finances and those sorts of things. 
And interestingly enough, ruler accumulator are the top two archetypes of every team member that I have. And that wasn't done by design. We did their all of their archetypes like a couple of years ago since after they'd all started working for me, but all of them have ruler or accumulator in their top three. And so I naturally have recruited people to my team who have what I need, right? The work ethic, the fiscal responsibility, the weighing things up a little more. That's actually yeah. something that's really great about my team because they can fill that gap for me because it's really low for me. Yeah. That's so funny. Number one, I'm a maverick, which means I like to take risks and I tend to go my own way instead of following the crowd. Number two, accumulator. Number three, ruler. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Ruler accumulators are my people. (laughs) That's fascinating. Yeah, totally. Uh, All right. So what has been the hardest part about growing your business so far? All the things. There's so many things that are challenging for sure. I think in the first third, it was finding my own way of doing things that wasn't going to make me feel like I want to avoid it. So finding those really connected sales strategies and really figuring all of that stuff out. In the second third, it was outsourcing, learning how to manage a team, learning how to let someone go. My nurturer connector means I'll hold on to a non-performing slash non-fit team member for years, right? Because I don't want them to go and I don't want to make them feel bad and all of those sorts of things. I also won't raise concerns very quickly and I'll just stew on them instead and see if I can fix it behind the scenes. So that definitely was like the, the challenge there. And now this last three years, my big challenge has been that scalable ongoing growth. So Facebook ads and being more visible amongst industry leaders and peers that I've been very competently hiding from for quite a while. Like any of those other big name marketing strategists, mentors, you know, a lot of the bro marketing stuff, a lot of the pushy marketing stuff, those people would not have heard my name in most cases. And so, but I've recognized that in order to be an alternative voice as to what is strong marketing and sound marketing practice, I need to risk that they're going to know that I've talked about their strategies being toxic or I've, you know, unpacked someone's launch structure and talked about why that's not part's not consent based and that piece is actually using neurolinguistic programming and uh, oh. manipulating people that's gaslighting over there right so i do a lot of that mostly inside my facebook community which is uh, the heart centered soldier entrepreneurs group which feels safe but in order to really be that voice of the alternative and to create that movement towards more consent-based marketing practices, I need to get more comfortable with being visible and being seen and I need to grow my audience significantly. So that's sort of my current challenge is that big, significant growth of audience. Yeah, and being seen by people, like big-name people. and the big names, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> they didn't know about me because I'm not. <laughs> I don't speak very highly of a lot of the very popular marketing people. So, 
So, I don't yeah. name names most of the time, but you can figure out what it is usually because you've got their launch emails in your inbox right now and I'm dissecting the launch emails and what they're doing. So most people on my mailing list will know who I'm talking about simply by the way that I'm talking about or what some of the strategies I'm referring to. But yeah, I do need to be far more comfortable with calling stuff out and being visible not only to audience members, but as you said, to those bigger names in the industry as well. Well, what has been the highlight and the best part of growing your business? Oh, all the people. I'm a raging extrovert. So on the Myers-Briggs type indicators, I'm 29 out of 30 extrovert. Wow. I've got one tiny little portion of introvert there somewhere, but it's all extrovert. So for me, the joy has just been connecting with people. As you like, I've probably had 40 or 50 of my clients stay at my house at some point in time because I love people and I love meeting people. Uh, Running conference is a total joy despite the fact that it's not particularly financially viable. It's something that I'll still do because I just love being in the room with other people and getting to know other people. So, yeah, for me, I think that's really the highlight is just seeing different people escape the corporate world or create really significant launch results without having to send 17 emails in six days or, you know, all of those sorts of things. It really does just light me up. And one of the other random little things that is such a joy and highlight for me is I've been running the Heart Centre community for nine years now. So I started about a year into running my business. And there are people who met each other through my Facebook group and they've been bridesmaids for each other or they've thrown each other baby showers or... You know, they, they call themselves business besties and they met through my community, not because I personally facilitated it, but because that community is so high connection, it's so engaged, people are so active in that community and they just get to meet so many cool new people. And so, yeah, I've seen a bunch of wedding photos recently where I'm like, oh my gosh, that person is a guest at that person's wedding. And I know that they met through my group. And so that makes me feel like connector archetype. That makes me feel so good because when I first started my business, I felt really lonely and uh, I had an L-shaped pen cup and I called it Hootie McOwlface. And I had conversations with my pen holder because I was just, I'd gone from being in a, an open plan office of 20 people to yeah. sitting on my own for yeah. eight hours a day. And so, yeah, that was a huge joy for me was creating that community and being able to connect in with a bunch of other people, but then creating that same opportunity for others. And same, we've got conference coming up in May and there are people who are sharing rooms together and there are people who are having like little sleepover rooms and all sorts of things. And uh, at both of the previous conferences that I've run, I've had the same thing. People will be sitting on the balcony having a glass of wine and they're like, oh, and they yell out to someone and then that person comes up and has a glass of wine with them. And so it feels like we're all on school camp, but we don't have all our teenage anxieties anymore and there's no mean girls. So yeah, it's just really joyful. And I feel like it's really healed my, some of my old wounds and stories about being excluded or being different mm-hmm. or relationships with other groups of women and girls. Uh, there's so much healing that's happened as a result of that because it is such a beautiful community and yeah. I love and adore it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I've been, I went to your very first conference that you held and yeah, I, absolutely. That was my experience, but also like on a business level, just up leveled to a whole new yeah. level. I saw myself in a different light after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it feels fancy to go to a business conference, you know. When we, when we start an online business, a lot of the time it feels like we're pretending. You know, I'm just sitting at my laptop, just putting things on social media. I made my website myself, right? So it doesn't feel as serious or legitimate for some reason. I mean, it totally is serious and legitimate and don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. But going to a conference or going to a business event, it feels like you're saying something about yourself. You're stepping into a different level of that sense of professionalism or that sense of, look at me, I'm a CEO because I'm at a conference with all these other CEOs and they haven't said, boo, get out of the room. So clearly (laughs) uh, it's okay for me to be here. Uh, So yeah, I definitely do think that you see yourself differently. And I made a commitment from the start of my business to go to events because I knew as an extrovert, I needed it. Mm -hmm. And every single event, regardless of whether it was one of those like chest beating bro fests or whether it was a really beautiful heart center conference, every single one of them helped me to up level that perception of myself and that sense of this is legit. And I am allowed to be here and I belong here. So yeah, that's brilliant. Love it. So what's next for you? What are your dreams and goals and vision? So the million dollar year is like next on the radar for sure. Also getting conference to be one of those real leading conferences in Australia. A lot of the big online business conferences, entrepreneurial conferences happen in the States or in Europe. Mm -hmm. And so having one that's really significant in Australia feels great. I love being able to fly speakers out to Australia because a lot of the time we don't get them. Or if we do get them, they only go to Sydney and Melbourne. And so on my conferences in the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. So my vision for this year is to sell out 2024 tickets before the end of this year and to have conference really start to make its mark as one of the leading business events for women and non-binary folk in the online business space. And then I think really the the next like big vision for me is that sense of visibility and really consistent scaling audience growth so that regardless of whether people buy from me or not, people understand what is consent-based marketing, what is heart-centered business. Uh, I have a lot of free resources. I run my own podcast. I run free training all the time and I love that my business pays me handsomely so that I can do things like that because some of the people who've really had the biggest shift from knowing me is actually they never spent a cent with me. And I love that. I'm not someone who's like, no, you have to buy from me in order to be a legitimate person, part of the audience. That's not true. And so I love that the people who do want to invest and work with me and pay me and and pay for conference tickets or pay for programs or those sort of things, they are actually helping to contribute to this ripple effect around the world through the free resources and content and trainings that I provide. So, yeah, so that's my big dream. Yeah, well, how can people follow you in your journey to a million? So I am on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Tash Corbin Coaching. And I'm on Instagram. My handle is Tash Corbin. So yeah, I'd say just like connect with me in there. Send me a DM on Facebook or Instagram and tell me 
where you're at in your business growth journey, what are you looking for, what's troubling you at the moment, and I'll let you know if I've got something that might be able to help. I've had over 300 podcast episodes now. I've got about 15 or 16 free resources that you can grab access to. So yeah, and I'm also happy to point you in the direction of someone who's able to help you if it's not an area of mine that I specialize in as well. So yeah, just send me a DM and ask me anything. I'm a bit of an open book and I'm quite happy. I'm someone who answers my own DMs and still finds it valuable to engage with people on a one-to-one basis. So yeah, please do just slide on into my DMs and let me know what you need. Perfect. Well, thank you everyone for listening and thank you Tash for joining me today. If you are a CEO and you would love to maybe take that first step and have a project basis to see whether an OBM or a business manager is right for you, then please reach out to me either via a DM or or an email and we'll get in contact and we'll have a little chat. So thanks for listening and have a productive day.